Welcome to the Todd DeVoe Show, exploring the best ideas and lessons for leaders. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, or depending on where you are at in this world. And, uh, well, hey, Brian, thanks for, for, for your service. Um, this uh, weekend is Memorial Day weekend, and I would hope everybody has a wonderful weekend. But please take time to reflect on why we're having this weekend. Uh, which is the those soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen that did not return um, home um, from overseas and from war. So that's what Memorial Day weekend's about. And so please take a little bit of time as you're cooking your hot dogs and hamburgers um, and have a great weekend to reflect on that. But that being said, we are talking about decision-making. So in any field that you're in, you have to make decisions. And some are more critical than others. And Shackleton, if you guys have, don't know about Shackleton, a couple of things about him. One is they just found the, the his boat, his ship, um, which is kind of cool. We'll talk about that. But it's an amazing person in general, Shackleton was. And I found an author who has written a book just about decision-making and the Shackleton expedition, Brad Borkin. Welcome to the show. Great. Hi, Todd. Great to be here. Awesome. Awesome to have you. So now this is more important than anything else. Mark Baker for Baker's Dozen, our book uh, editor, um, has, has read the book, has some really uh, in-depth questions about the book. So I'd like to bring Mark into the show. Mark, good morning. Hey, good morning, Todd. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So the book right as you're talking about is is making decisions when your life depends upon it um it's true right i mean like in the case with shackleton he's making these decisions to get every or try to get everybody home um from this failed i guess expedition if you will and i think that's kind of where we should start off so why why did they go and just let me let me frame this up a second here if you think about the time this was just before World War One broke out, right? So it's the the early, uh, you know, nineteen hundreds, nineteen teens, I guess, if you will. Um, you know, the the British start doing like all sorts of expeditions, Americans too, for that matter, and then and then we'll talk about the other countries that got into it. But um, why why was the world expanding at this point? I suppose like why were these expeditions going on, particular in this time frame? Well, it was an amazing period of, of history because in a way the time is sort of similar to what we have today, which was, it was advancing technologically. I mean, then they've had you know, the electricity coming to people's homes. You had telephones, you had uh, cars being invented, airplanes being invented. Oh, it, was, it was technologically advanced and the world was at peace. But at the same time, the world wasn't mapped. You didn't, no one had been to the top of Everest. No one had been to the North Pole. No one had been to the South Pole. They didn't know what was even there. The Antarctica was only discovered as a continent in the 1800s. And the first person to set foot on it was in 18, 1895. So nobody knew what was, what was in the interior. And, and you know, looking at the North Pole, nobody even knew whether there's land there, ice, what, or what. Some people even thought there was like a warm ocean up there. So it's like, it's, you know, there, the, the, there was a great desire to figure out what the world was about. That was driving. That was a driver. And so the Royal 
and I have to say this correctly because I messed this up last time, the Royal Geographical Society um, kind of funded a lot of these expeditions. And now Shackleton himself, and from what I understand, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, he wasn't necessarily like this this guy that was like well thought of necessarily but he was definitely thought of as being an adventurer is that a good way to describe him yes so the the expeditions were funded by a lot of groups and so it was not just the royal geographical society it was more coming from them being like a, a sponsor or sponsoring organization not so much financially but as you know giving a stamp of approval and then them the explorers seeking money elsewhere as well the um, Shackleton had a really interesting career because he went on the first real scientific expedition, which was run by Captain Scott. And that was like 1901 to 1904. And no one had traveled inside of Antarctica. And the, the, the goal was, well, let's just try to take a small team, three people. So it was, it was Scott, uh, Scott's right-hand man, Dr. Edward Wilson, and Shackleton. And Shackleton was a junior member of the team then. And they were just on a uh, trek into the interior um, doing what's, what's called manhauling, which is basically literally strapping these harnesses to their bodies and pulling a sledge along. So using the British term sledge, because that's what they called them, uh, packed with their supplies, the tent, sleeping bags, food, cooking oil, and and. And they went as far south into the interior as they thought they could go. And on the way back, Shackleton got scurvy because no one knew what vitamins were. No one knew how to count calories. And they're expelling a lot of calories. Six, seven. Someone described it as to replenish their calories, they'd have to eat the equivalent of three Christmas dinners every day. Wow. And they certainly weren't doing that. Uh, six, 7,000 calories a day. And they weren't getting anywhere near that from the food they were carrying. And on the way back, Shackleton gets scurvy. So they go about, they don't even reach their first goal of how far they want to get into the middle of the continent. On the way back, Shackleton gets so sick and so ill that he's he's literally can't walk. And he's on the sledge along with all their supplies. And the other two guys are pulling him back. So his first, he survives, he very, very, very nearly dies, but he survives it. And they get sent back to England on the first ship back. While the expedition was going to stay for another year, he gets sent back early, invalided back home uh, in disgrace, basically. That yeah. was his first first entry into, into Antarctica. And, and... Is that what drove him to do the next one? I mean, because he, he did come back in disgrace? Well, it's very interesting. He's, he was an interesting guy. He came back in disgrace and... Rather than going like, oh, what was me? I nearly died. I, 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 you know, uh, um, uh, he, he went around Britain pitching how great this expedition was, what success it was, and how they, they managed to, to travel into the interior of Antarctica. And, and he starts setting up his own expedition. And that enables him to start thinking about, well, if, if Scott's expedition couldn't get to to the South Pole, I could set up an expedition that could get to the South Pole. So he comes comes in very optimistic and sets up a team and and they they nearly get there. So they get, I can tell the story. It's like, it's, it's a fascinating story. They almost get there, but they have to turn back because they run out of food. Right. And 
it's uh it's just and so he comes back again as failed expedition and i mean they survive but they're down to their last biscuit basically <laughs> and uh and literally to their last biscuit and these are biscuits they're like uh in england we have these things called jacob's crackers which is sort of like um cars crackers that you think you can buy them in the u.s they 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 um they're basically uh, like hard bread fundamentally <laughs> so not very nutritious they're down to the you know the last biscuits they have and uh uh but they do get back and they do get back alive which is quite key right. uh, and that's when shackleton and then scott goes back again strives to get to the south pole and amundsen the norwegians beats him to the south pole scott dies on the way back and now it's coming up like you're saying just before world war one and shackleton is setting up an expedition saying well if the south pole's already conquered what do i do next and what do i do next is i'm going to walk across the continent of antarctica and that's what brings us to to the the sunken ship and, and all that right yeah so shackleton was indeed a an amazingly tough tough dude um he uh he definitely had immense amounts of perseverance and he, and he continued on his path he had a goal and he was going for it but i think one thing that stood out was each time you know he failed he didn't take it as a failure it was a learning point and he adopted that learning point to to his planning efforts for the next next time he went out could you elaborate more on you know, because that's what stuck out with me is the, the detailed and the level of planning and learning each time an, uh, an adventure was or an expedition was uh, attempted, well, uh, particularly as an emergency manager and right and how we have to plan at such a finite level. Could you dig into that a little bit more, Brad? Sure. Yeah. So so the expeditions were, were interesting because they were uh, sort of like a mix of military men and scientists and uh and other people who were along for the ride in a sense so it was it was a uh expedition that had a very clear goal they were very focused on what they were going to do but the reality was they never ever achieved their primary in fact that was true for all of the early explorers they never achieved what they were they set out to do they achieved other things and they they were very good at moving from saying this was our primary goal, we're not getting that. Let's get our secondary goal. Let's or make a new goal, which is a great lesson for modern decision making in emergency management. You may may be like, well, we're trying to do this, but you know we've got these teams of people. Not everyone's working together. How do we get people working together? How do we get people to uh, focus on if we can't get that goal? What's this other goal that we can get to? And really embedding goal focus on on teams even if people are coming from uh, this public private partnership uh, you know it's just a mix of mix of, of people all right reframing success right just uh you know we, we we aim for the stars but if we fall short we're gonna at least land on top of the moon type of mentality. i thought that was i picked that up too throughout the book and, and what a great lesson even for speaking from an emergency management point so we set these lofty goals we don't always meet, but there is success with, with not meeting those goals too. And I, I thought that was a great point in the book as well. Um, and I think the, the getting towards that and articulating that and keeping the team moving forward was the, the leadership traits that, that each of those leaders had, even the all the way down, 
each person in the, in, in the expedition team at, at some point had a leadership role and they had to make a decision or, or another. Yeah, well, it was fascinating because leadership was sort of fluid at, at one level. What was interesting about the expeditions was you had the leader like Shackleton and you had the second in command. And even in small teams, in fact, if you go if you go back to the story I was talking at the beginning about Scott Wilson and Shackleton as being the three going out as far south as they could on that first expedition where Scott Shackleton got scurvy. I mean, Wilson was a second in command. So here you got three people of which you've got Scott, the leader, Wilson, second in command and Shackleton. It's like, but that was true. Everything was done in teams and everything was done with the second in command. And so the value of the second in command, because we don't always use this in uh, business. We don't use this style in in that many areas but it's it gives an ability for the other workers the other people who may have interpersonal conflict they can then go to the second command and get it resolved as opposed to going to the boss go to the boss all of a sudden it takes a different element of um, of behavior also if something's not going well someone may not want to flag it to the boss because it reflects badly on them but you might flag it to the second command and be like, hey, can you help me figure this out? Can you help me solve this problem? I don't want to take it to the boss, but you're more like at our level. And it's and it's, it worked incredibly well on these expeditions. I think in stressful situations, especially like emergency management and disaster relief and these things where time is of the essence, life is on the line. It's like it, it can be a very strong way to manage teams. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. That's kind of like our structure in the, the military, right, Todd? It's, yeah. You got the NCOs for that reason. Soldiers can go to NCOs, NCOs, that middle person who knows how to work uh, both ends of leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I always think of, you know, the idea too. Brad and I are talking um, on our pre-call um, about decision-making with keeping your 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 men or your troops um, in consideration first. And Brad, tell t- tell the story of this of the uh, sleeping bags because that's that's a fascinating story and it really shows what leadership is. Okay, great. Yeah, that's that's a fascinating story. What what happened was so on this third expedition that Shackleton's on, it's his desire to walk across the continent of Antarctica. So he comes down to from the really thinking of the world as being like from the Argentina side and the New Zealand side. So his plan for this expedition is he's going to come down into the Weddell Sea, which is on the Argentina side of of, uh, Antarctica. And the ship's going to drop off about five or 10 men. And they're the ones who are going to walk across Antarctica. The, because they can't carry all the supplies they need to do this distance, which is like 1,400 miles. They have another ship coming down from New Zealand, and that's going to go to the other side of the continent and lay supply depots halfway along the way. The problem is there's no communication between the teams. <laughs> so I've got no idea where these depots are going to be laid. So that, and uh, what happens is Shackleton's team sails down in the ship called the Endurance and ultimately gets stuck in the ice and ultimately gets crushed. So what happened and was leading up to this, this question that Todd had about the sleeping bags is on this ship, the Endurance, you had 28 men of which 
uh, you had officers and you had men, or that's the way they described it in the, in the British military. You've got officers and men, and and the officers they're all male species, but they're they, that's what they call officers and men. And the officers always get better food, better accommodation on the ship. They're the ones who get all the privileges, and the men are the lower ranking people. Navy, they're both navy people, but then they're uh, other people as well, and together. Um, they all end up after the ship's getting crushed on, in the ice, they have to abandon the ship. And now they're camping on the ice. The trouble is that since you only had about five or 10 guys walking across Antarctica, there were about 10 fur sleeping bags. Well, they're the sleeping bags. You Basically the ship, the people on the ship were basically going to drop these people off and sail back. So they didn't need warm sleeping bags. So the ship had these sort of woolen cloth sleeping bags. So all of a sudden you've got 28 men 28 sleeping bags, of which only 10 are fur. And where normally you'd assume the officers get the fur sleeping bags, what Shackleton did was did a draw using sticks and somehow had rigged it so not one of the officers got a fur sleeping bag. And it was a bit of his saying, hey, we're all in it together. And it was like one of the most remarkable things. It's so out of the ordinary because all the men would have expected the officers would get the sleeping bags, fur sleeping bags. Extraordinary piece of, of of management. Yeah, you kind of snuck in servant leadership in a time where it wouldn't be as readily accepted. I, th- I thought that was pretty cool too. Because yeah. I mean, also this month we read the you know, the manifesto of a servant, servant leader's manifesto. But uh, yeah, that that was a pretty neat one too. Um. So. As we're as we're going through this book, I appreciated the the structure of it specifically because you, it was a lesson in each each chapter. And at the end of it, you talked about practical applications to uh, to your life or, or or your job in the real world today. But going with that notion, I also as a as a trainer, I'm constantly thinking about how to convey and uh, replicate this the stressors of an envir- of an extreme environment like that for uh, the people. I'm uh, putting on exercises for, especially senior leaders. And this book focused towards, uh, you know, had some CEO, CEO comments in there. Uh, so just curiosity. I mean, how would you go about conveying that level of stress and extreme decision-making into an, a controlled exercise environment to kind of replicate some of the stressors or get as close as you can to the stressors that uh, people on these, expeditions experience and making decisions under that kind of stress yeah that's a really good question because it's you can't put people into into a cold room and starve them for four four or five days and give them some sort of problem to solve it's it's (laughs) you might want to i'd be character building for sure health and safety may stop you from doing that um, but the um there's one exercise i i did with with a, a team in ireland and what we did was um, there's a story at the opening of the book and the story is of these three men. And this isn't sh- the Scott Shackleton uh, Wilson story that I told at the beginning of, of the show. It, it's about three men who are three different ones. And they had gone out towards the South Pole. We don't tell you much about them. They just go out to the South, towards the South Pole and they're on their way back. And one of them gets scurvy and he says, leave me behind and you guys continue. And when they hesitate, because he's clearly dying. Now, they've traveled much further out than Scott Wilson and Shackleton have gone. 
and he's much worse condition. He is literally die. He can't, you know, because because scurvy is very obvious. Uh, the blackening of the gums, the 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 black, the bruising of the skin, the weakening of the joints. There's it just it's very. And they all knew what he had. He knew what he had. They knew it wasn't survivable. No one knew what caused scurvy at that er, in that era. Nobody knew what the solution was. They just knew he was dying. And he says to, to leave him behind on the ice. They only have one tent. So in Antarctica and the cold and the wind, you're not going to survive with that tent. He's like, leave me my sleep bag. You guys continue on. They were running out of food. There was no one's going to come to rescue them. No one knew where they were. And the end result was um, he turns to them when they refuse to leave him. He said, I'm your commanding officer. And in this case, they happen to all be three military people. And he was indeed their commanding officer. And he said to them, I'm your commanding officer. I'm giving you a military order and to disobey his mutiny. So here you have a, a challenge to, to them to decide what to do. And I had written this out as a short script uh, and set people up to teams and said, you have five minutes to make a decision. It's come together as a group into these teams of four people and you've got to make a decision there's no there's no waffling out of this you can't you either leave them behind or you stay with them uh and do something else what are you what is it you're going to do and i think that was that was about as close as it got to putting people on, in the stress similar sort of stress situation uh, obviously they're not starving they're not you know they're, but i think there's a time the time pressure yeah. to get agreement was was what they really struggled as a group, and I, I, that may be one way to do it. Yeah, that that was my favorite stressor as a as a military leader in training was the time as a stressor, and then also consequences in decisions. You know, for us, you know, make them sweat a little bit if they if they didn't make a decision. But yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, that. It, perfect. It was um, uh, just for for the listeners this the story. Of what I don't know if we want to tell what happened to these. To, yeah, to absolutely. Them. But if okay, the uh, just to to bring the story to a conclusion, they decided. So the three men were there was Lieutenant Evans, who was a, the man who was dying, and then you had Tom Crean and William Lashley, and Lashley and Crean decide together immediately. They're just like we're not leaving them behind. We're going to just keep going as far as we can, and they get to a stage where they're 35 miles to base camp, basically. No one's going to come rescue them. And they decide, okay, we're almost out of food. There's one tent. And and between the two of them, Tom Crean is sort of the second in command. He's more senior than, than Lashley. And he's like, okay, I'm going to do the walk, 35 miles. It may not sound a lot, but when you've been on starvation rations for that long in the cold and the snow, he's going to go with no tent, no sleeping bag. So it's do or die. Uh, he stops. He's going to die of hypothermia. He's got uh, like something like three biscuits and two sticks of chocolate. He goes. So he's going to seek rescue. He goes to, to he halfway through. He stops to eat the chocolate. He said it just breaks into powder in his mouth. It's no nutritious value whatsoever. He uh, at one point puts one of the one of the, the biscuits in his back pocket. Just he, he, he consumes the other ones along the way. He eventually arrives, is just trying to have a blizzard going, and he arrives at the base camp. Luckily, there are two guys there. He didn't even know whether the, the, the hut at the base camp would even be occupied. 
there are two guys there. The blizzard starts raging. And it's meanwhile, Evans is literally near death back there with Lashley. And it takes them a day and a half before the blizzard subsides before they can go rescue them. And Crean desperately wants to go back and with the rescue, they won't let him go back because he was too weakened. And uh, both the moral of the story a little bit, well, one of the, the, the compelling things of that story was that at one point they said to Crean, well, why did you uh, put the biscuit in your back pocket? And he said, uh, I was saving it for an emergency. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, it just, and, and Lashley, Lashley lived. And Lashley, well, Lashley and Evans were rescued, even though they, they, you know, all throughout this, the story is being retold. Was, he was as near to death as man could ever be. Uh, Evans lives. He has a long military career in the British Navy. He writes a book about his time in Antarctica and dedicates it to Crean and Lashley. He said that throughout his long military career as a very senior officer, no one had ever disobeyed one of his commands except that one. Oh, it's a good one to disobey. You, yeah. you know, I mean, like these, these stories are amazing and the decisions that you have to make and uh, are there. And what I find interesting is there's been time and time again where the, you know, they're putting the biscuit in the back pocket for emergency when you're in the most dire states, but you still think, okay, this is not quite an emergency yet. You know, and it kind of, <laughs> kind of it thinks about like the, like when we tell people to evacuate and they're like, eh, eh, I'm, you know, my house isn't quite on fire, you know? So uh, I, I just always think about people like, like that. That's just kind of shows the human psyche of what an emergency truly is. Yeah. Oh. I, think that, I think one of the things that if we jump back to the story of, of when they're dividing up the sleeping bags. Um, so jumping back to that story where the, you know, the Shackleton's journey across the desire to get, walk across Antarctica, but now he's got to survive, help his men survive. One of the things he did that was really in, I don't want to say it's necessarily inspirational, but it was sort of really intelligent was when they're camping out on the ice at the point where he's dividing up the big bags, he calls that camp ocean camp because they're literally camping on the ocean. It's literally they're on sea ice that's floating in the ocean. Later on in, at that point, they get to another, they go, they move position a few miles away, number of miles away. And he calls that patience camp because now they've got to wait for the sea ice to move northwards and then melt as it sort of melts in slightly warmer water, it'll break up and they can jump into the boats. That um, calling it patience camp, I mean, this is something that I think from a leader perspective was just so incredible because it was saying to the men, this is what, we just got to be patient. You know, these are people, men of action, these Navy people, military people, scientists, they're people who want to go out and do stuff. And now they're just going to be patient. I just thought that was really clever, really smart. Well, we're getting close to the end. And and I could talk about this forever. And, and I, I really would like to actually, but, you know, unfortunately, we're coming close to the time. Um, I have two questions left. And one's, I think, uh, the big one is, if you could pull one lesson, and Mark, maybe you can also answer this question too, since you've read the book from your perspective um if you could pull one lesson from this book to give to people and i'll start with mark first and then brad what would you mark what would you pull from this to give to your team one lesson and then brad what's the lesson that you would want people to take away from your book so let's go with mark first i think one of the top pickups i 
I made out of the book is uh, knowing your higher purpose. What is your higher purpose or, or your why? I, I think that one, a uh, couple those hand in hand would never, ever give up. But uh, if you know your purpose, you know why, you're going to be uh, driven to, to achieve that. So, Brad. Okay, so for, for me, that's, I agree with Mark. Those those were the key ones. There's a third one that I like, which is also uh, don't strive to make perfect decisions. But what you want to do is you want to make decisions quickly, knowing that you have the wherewithal to recover from a bad decision. I think sometimes the fear of having a bad decision is so, um, can cause people to freeze and or overanalyze. And the idea is that if you've got a lot of uh, a resilient team, a resilient mindset, you make a bad decision, you just go, okay, this, okay, so this is the situation here. Like Shackleton made a bad decision. That's why their ship got crushed in the ice. Okay, so that's where we're at. Let's just move forward from there. We can, we can recover from bad decisions. Brad, how could they find your book? The book is available on Amazon and it's available on audiobook and Kindle in print formats uh, on Amazon, anywhere in the world, and also um, on all other online um, book media, barnesandnoble.com and and things like that. Absolutely. Hey, Brad, thank you so much for your time. And Mark, thank you for your time and and, uh, for your insight on on the book. Everybody, thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. Um, It's always great to have these conversations. And like, please find Brad, find the book, buy it. Uh, I, I actually have it on the audiobook, I'm, it's on my thing to listen to. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm super excited about it. And Brad and I had a great conversation um, uh, earlier this week um, about it. And it's just it's an amazing, amazing story. If you want to learn about decision-making um, under stress, uh, the Shackleton Expedition, is the, <laughs> that's the, one of the ones that you want to learn from. So, everybody, until next week, I hope you guys – are safe i hope you guys are wonderful and and also follow us on your favorite podcast player or also here here on the bullhorn till next week stay safe and stay hydrated <laughs>